Isn't it painful to wait? In today's culture, we're programmed to expect things to always be moving. We move lanes in the checkout line or change lanes in the car in a concerted effort to avoid waiting, even if it will save us mere seconds. When nothing's happening, we feel like something is wrong. Those 15 seconds of silence felt like an eternity. We all felt like something should be happening. Someone should be doing something, right? Waiting is inevitable and sometimes necessary, but that doesn't change the fact that sometimes waiting is the hardest part. So how many of you honest and you'd say, okay, I was kind of wondering what was going on there. Like, let's get it, let's get going. Who's messing up back there? I think our first, our, our first service, you know, there are a couple of pastors that didn't know that was happening. Like, what's, what's going on? And they, do I need to make a text, you know? Uh, if, if you have an Apple uh, computer, like a MacBook or something, you may have, when you're waiting, you see, you see something that looks a little bit like this. Uh, it's called the spinning wheel of death. It's the, waiting, it's the waiting wheel when you are having to wait for something to load or something gets frozen and you just, it's just hard to wait. And we live in a breakneck speed kind of culture that wants microwave and super fast Wi-Fi. And if we even have to wait for three seconds for our phone to send a signal to space to a satellite to come back down to our phone and give us information on the interwebs that have been in our pocket, we get impatient, don't we? Well, let's do a little test this morning. Let me ask you some true or false questions about, about waiting on, uh, when, during the spinning wheel of, of, of life. True, true or false, and maybe you can relate to these. Um, <clears throat> I've cut through a gas station parking lot to avoid a red light. Anybody, don't, that's illegal, sir. Put your hand down. Uh, <laughs> we got a lot of officers in the room. Um, Okay, let, let me ask you this. When, when checking out, I always look for the shortest line. <laughs> Duh! You'd be an idiot if you didn't do that. Okay. A yellow traffic light doesn't mean slow down. It means hurry up and get through. <laughs> and hurry up and get through. But while you're getting through, you want to make sure you look around and that there's not a camera on that particular stoplight. Because if there's a camera on that particular stoplight, you might just get a $75 check in the mail. I mean, a bill in the mail where you have to send a $75 check to Lufkin Police Department. Not that I've ever had to do that seven or eight times. Here's one. Uh, people who talk really slow irritate me. <laughs> Anybody? My, go, my, my guess is most of us struggle with, uh, with waiting. And we live in, like I said, a fast-paced, can't-wait World. We send packages with express delivery. We talk on cell phones sold by Sprint. We got finances that get tracked by software called Quicken. You can get some gas from a gas station called Quick Trip. And some people like to swim in Speedos. No! Don't do it. I'll be honest with you. I, uh, Jan and I, uh, for her 40th uh, birthday, uh, surprised her trip to Hawaii. 
couple of our friends went with us, and there was a dare, and they dared me to buy a Speedo and go swimming in it. And, and so they took a picture of me doing that, and we have that right here. I'm kidding. No way. Are you serious? Dear God in heaven. You want to grow this church down to six people? And the, I don't know what six people would want to even stay. Maybe my wife. I don't know. Lord. I'm going to show you that. Something you burn and you never talk about. But we just, you know, we have a hard time waiting. And so we started this little two-week series, Adventageous, because Advent is these four weeks leading up to Christmas Eve. And it's in that time where really Advent is all about anticipation, looking for the coming. But yet there's this waiting from the time Jesus is born to the time Jesus is going to come back someday. See, we've already experienced the birth of Christ and the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ, the empowerment of the gift that Christ mentioned in the Gospels of the Holy Spirit, and yet we're still waiting for the second coming. And so Advent is designed for us not only to celebrate Christmas, but with anticipation, be waiting and expecting the second coming of Jesus. But it's that space between the already and the not yet. You know, some of you, you put your Christmas tree up, and you got, maybe you've already got little presents there. And if you've got little kids, the anticipation is killing them. Why do that? Why put your presents out early? Don't do that. Because they're, they're like, they're already there. The presents are already under the tree. Can I just open one, Mom? No, not yet. Not yet. We're teaching you about Advent, about the second coming of Christ. No. It's this process that we just, we just don't like to wait. So basically, this is where we are in life. And there is where we want to go, what we want to experience, what we want to see, what we want to accomplish. And we've got this idea in our minds that where we're here and yet maybe God has shown us this or our plans have shown us this or we're in college and we're going to graduate and we want to get there. And we've got this space in between here and there and that space there's just waiting. And if you're at a place in your life where you're not waiting on anything, oh, just wait. <laughs> you're going to be waiting. You're going to be waiting on something, somebody, some issue, some situation on God. You're going to wait. And, and how we deal with waiting is critical. So maybe you're here and you're waiting. You're here and you're single and you're waiting for Mr. or Mrs. Wright. Some of you have been waiting longer than others. And God's preparing that person for you. And you're like, they must be preparing a supermodel because I've been waiting a long time. You're waiting. Some of you are waiting for your marriage to get better. You've been talking about it with each other, but... It's like you thought that maybe if you talked about it and you watched a video that all of a sudden it would get better real quick and yet you're in a waiting period. Some of you are waiting for healing. You've been asking God, God, why am I dealing with this? I'm waiting for healing and you're, you're waiting healing physically or, or healing relationally. Maybe there's a, a broken relationship and you've been waiting for that to be reconciled. Maybe, maybe you're waiting on a job opportunity Your boss keeps promising you that you're going to get there. And yet, you know what? Maybe next quarter we'll be able to give you that bump. Maybe next quarter we'll give you that increase. Maybe next quarter we'll be able to. And then next quarter comes, and the next quarter comes. Well, just keep waiting. Just keep faithful. And you've been waiting for the job opportunity to even get a job or the job opportunity to get that increase. And you're waiting. You've got issues that you're just waiting on, a vision that God has given you. Maybe you're waiting for a wayward child, a child that 
once loved Jesus and followed and, and wanted to, to see the character, conduct, and convictions of Christ in their own life, and they've drifted. They've drifted. And you're waiting for them to come back to Jesus. Some of you, maybe you're waiting just to have a child. And you, you've been wondering, why? Why can't we get pregnant? Why can't this? We're just waiting. God, where are you? What's going on? And, and this waiting is... It's tough on people. It's tough. This is really what waiting looks like. See, we want it to look like this, where we got everything lined up, but it tends to look like this, doesn't it? Where, where, where we think it's going to be here to there and it's going to be a linear thing, and the, then we got ups and downs, valleys and rivers and stuff to cross. And just when we thought we almost got there, we'd take a detour and we got to wait a little bit longer to get there. And this is life, and this is what God intended. Surely God just intends this, right? And surely maybe it's a little shorter for me because everybody else. It's, it's, like, it's like this is my life. Everybody else seems to be like this, but my life is like this. And then everybody else, it's like their waiting period is shorter because, because I just keep waiting. So why all the waiting? Why, why, why do we wait? Well, I believe that God uses waiting as a beautiful tool to, to, to help us in life. You know, you wouldn't think that suffering would be a tool for life, but suffering can be a catalyst for joy and trust in God. The same way with waiting. You can either be frustrated on the wait or you can lean into the waiting. In fact, in your notes on the back of your worship guide, let's start taking some notes this morning. Waiting equals becoming. There's something that God's doing in your life. There's something that, that you've yet to learn, yet to see. Waiting equals becoming, so I want to challenge you. Waiting equals becoming, so embrace the wait. Embrace the waiting on God. We push back, we stiff arm waiting. Embrace the wait and see what God might do. We see this happen throughout Scripture. It doesn't just happen to you. It doesn't just happen to me. It happens through Scripture. But there are three bad assumptions, though, that we make when we wait. Three bad assumptions. You and I, we love to make assumptions. And we make three critical, horrible assumptions about waiting when we're in the waiting period. Here's the first one. If I know what I should do, I'm ready to do it. Hey, Dad, I'm 16. I can drive. I want to set my own curfew, make my own rules. Maybe I just might even get my own place. Okay. You do that, bucko. I know what I should do. I'm ready to do it. And no, no, you're not. Even if you have been given clear direction on, I want to become this when I grow up, or I, I want to see this happen very soon, we, we, we know what to do. We should be ready for that, right? Well, if you look into the Old Testament, one of the most popular characters in the Word of God, one of the most popular real-life characters, David, you can see that, that here David is anointed as king, and he's, he's a young teenager. And Samuel the prophet 
goes to the, the house of Jesse, and Jesse has many sons, and, and he calls up Jesse. He says, I want you to get all your boys, bring them into the living room, and I want to I look at them, and God's going to anoint out of your boys somebody, one of your kids, is going to be king over Israel. So, so Jesse and the wife gather all their boys up, and it's the strongest and the tallest all, and the oldest all the way down, and, and, and Samuel's going with his anointing oil to, to do this, this symbolic moment of anointing the king, and it's like he goes to an the biggest and the tallest and the strongest, and God says, uh-uh, no, 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 no. And he goes to the next one, is uh-uh, yeah, three, four, five, six, seven. He, he, he doesn't anoint anybody. And Samuel says, Are you sure this is all the, the kids you have? And, and Jesse says, like, Well, I mean, I got another one. He's David. He's he will, he kind of hangs out with the sheep and plays a banjo. Kind of a, you know, kind of an artsy fartsy nerdy kid. You sure, David, you want me to get, Samuel says, we're not sitting down until you go get David. So they go call for David out in the, in the pasture. Here David comes in, you know, pimply kid with the sunburned nose and crazy hair and knees like a camel. And he's kind of got, you know, he's going through that time in his life. He's dragging a banjo. Did you call for me, Dad? And in that moment, Samuel pops the cork out of the skin, and he pours the anointing oil all over David because God says, he's it. He's it. He anoints him as king. You know, the Bible doesn't explain everything. And so it's not like Jesse is saying, you understand the anointing oil represents the, the glory of God. And, you know, like this old man is pouring oil, oil over him. He's probably looking at his dad like, what is going on here, dad? You know. Now, that's in 1 Samuel 16. The very next chapter, one of the most popular stories of David's life. Can you guess it? David and Goliath is the very next, very next chapter in 1 Samuel 17. And David goes out, you know, his dad, he's not even old, he's not even old enough to be in battle. His other, his other brothers are there. Jesse says, here, go take the old pickup truck, take some Cheez-Its and some Takis and, and, and some Subway sandwiches. Take it down there and give it, to, give it to, to the army. Let them know we're thinking about them. And he drives in, and everybody's lined up, and they're cowering. They don't know what to do. They're shaking in their boots. And Goliath's out there saying, your mama is so fat. And, 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 and David's in the crowd, like, jumping over because he's so short. He's like, what's he saying about Israel? I'm going to get that guy. I'm going to get that. I'm going to get him with my little fist. And, and, and David says, I want to do something. And they say, well, Saul said there's a gift for killing the, the, the giant. And so he goes to Saul. And Saul, I think Saul wants to take credit for it because Saul gives him his armor. But the armor's like clink, 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 too big for David. And so he says, no, 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 no. I, I can do this. And like a, like, a, like a rocket fires that one stone and kills Goliath. Now, you would think that in that huge moment where the king Saul wouldn't even step out. And for 40 days they'd been waiting for someone to take care of this giant. You would think that that moment when the Israelites pushed back against the Philistine opposition, that that was the moment where all of a sudden, ha, crown of David. But no. You think it's close, but it's actually way over there. And it's 20 chapters later. And it's 15 years. From the time he's anointed as king to the time the crown actually hits the crown of his head. Fifteen years he waits. 
But the assumption is, if I know what I should do, I must be ready to do it. But there was some cultivation of character. There was some developmental pieces. There was some real-life training that David needed. There was some stuff that God was working out in someone else that had nothing to do with David. And when we wait, we don't like it, but he's, he's on the move. Write it down. A waiting season is never a wasted season. But let me, let me add a caveat to that. A, wait, a waiting season is never a wasted season unless you want it to be wasted. You, you, you can waste your waiting. You can. Or you can look at it and say, okay, I'm not going to let this season of waiting be wasted on me just twiddling my thumbs and being upset with God that he hasn't turned things around exactly. I believe the next generation that God is bringing up has the potential to be the greatest generation that's ever lived on the face of this planet. The, 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 the innovation, the technology, the intersection of what we know right now and how fast technology is moving and, and the excitement of this next generation, that's an intersection for opportunity that I believe God wants to use. And I don't want to hear this church ever talk down towards the next generation. We, we want more for the next generation, don't we? Grandma and Grandpa, don't you want your grandkids to be like, better to like experience better stuff than you experience we never want our kids to do less than we would do hey i want you to really do well but never make more money than i've made don't ever live in a house nice we want more for them we want more for, it's a core value of our church we want more for the next generation we've invested half of this space towards the next generation in our church and the, and, and we've got more to come but but can i let me also urge or um warn the next generation you don't like to wait the same way nobody else likes to wait. And when we, we do have a generation that we think that after college or even after high school, I should be making the same as my parents are making right now financially. Like the average person coming out of college right now thinks their first salary position should be around Or, or we should have the same kind of lifestyle that our parents have worked for 30 years to create. I mean, dude, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. Jane and I getting married, we wanted to have the nicer cars. We wanted to have the bigger house. We weren't satisfied with the, with the, the apartment. We wanted to get it. I mean, we just, we, we want it all now. We want it. And we got to wait. It's like my son, my son, some of the first words he learned was, I want it. I'm, I'm dead serious, before, like almost before mama. It was mama, I want it, mine, and then dad. Okay, that's what it was. But I want it. He had a horrible habit of saying, I want it, I want it, I want it. We were on a drive to Kansas to celebrate Christmas, and he was saying, I want it. And we said, if you say one, I want it one more time, I'm going to pull this car over, and I'm going to spank your butt. That was Janet saying that. That was Janet saying that. And here's what happened. She, she uh, we said, don't you, don't you say I want it one more time. And it was quiet for about seven seconds. And then we heard this, but I want it. <laughs> I'm serious. We just want it. A waiting season is never a wasted season, though. And maybe it's not even millennials. Maybe it's not even the next generation. Maybe you're in a midlife crisis and you want something different. You wanted it to look different. You wanted the marriage to be more sultry. You wanted this to be more financially secure. You wanted this, and, 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 and we're just tired of waiting. 
We take things into our own hands. A waiting season is never a wasted season. Waiting equals becoming, so embrace the wait. The next assumption, though, is the longer I wait, the less active God is in my life. Now, you ever been there? You're waiting on God to move, and the longer you wait, you begin to feel like maybe God isn't listening. Maybe God isn't, maybe God didn't care about this. The disciples have been walking with Jesus, and they get into a boat, and it's, and the, and the waves just begin to roll, and the storm brews, and it's this crazy moment of fear in the disciples, and they yell out there in the scriptures. They say, Master, don't you care that we're about to drown? Don't you even care? And when we're waiting, the longer we wait, we feel like God is less active, and we say things like, don't you care? Don't you care that th this isn't happening? And what we forget is Jesus is in the boat with you. In fact, Jesus is asleep in the boat, and it doesn't mean he's inactive. It means he's not worried like you're worried. See, he's sleeping in the middle of a storm because he's not worried about the storm. And what we see is they say, don't you care? And Jesus, with, his, with, with simple words, his word, peace, can change the atmosphere of earth and your heart. But the longer I wait, the less active God feels in my life. Here's what David said in the Psalms. You know, David waiting to be king and then waiting for other stuff to take place. David writes in Psalm, wake up, God. See what is happening in helping me and help me. Help me out. Are you awake? No, he's not asleep. God doesn't sleep. He doesn't have to. But that's what we feel like, don't we? He also says in Psalm 143, answer me quickly. I don't think anybody prays a prayer. Answer me slow. Answer me quickly, Lord. My spirit fails. Don't hide your face from me. I love this negotiation. Tell you what, let the morning, in the morning, I'd I, I appreciate it if in the morning you have that to me by 8 a.m., right? Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love, for I have put my trust in you. And it's not that I don't love God. It's not that I, I'm not trying to trust God. He's saying, I put my trust in you, but you've been waiting, and, and I'm impatient, and, and, and I, want, I, just, I don't want to have to put this in my own hands. Anybody ever been there? Where you love Jesus. You love Jesus. But the waiting is kind of causing you to, to question or to get anxious. Just because you don't see God moving doesn't mean he's not moving. Just because we don't see it doesn't mean that he's not orchestrating other elements in our life. In fact, write it down. My feelings are not facts about God. Because when we feel like we're waiting, we feel certain things. We feel impatient. We feel like we're going to miss it. We, we feel, and, and our feelings, here's what happens. Our feelings begin to inform us of who God is instead of God and who he is informing how we should feel about things. It's worth saying again. The way we feel begins to dictate who God is, how big he is, what he's done in our life, what he's going to do or what he's not going to do. The way we feel dictates who God is versus who God is becoming the litmus test for how I ought to feel and how I ought to trust and how I ought to wait on him. Are you getting this this morning? Are we tracking? Maybe there's, you know, maybe there's some surgery going on in somebody's life because you've just been tired of waiting. I know. It's tough. But let me also say God's delays in your life are not God's denials. When you feel delayed in life, it's not a denial of God. It's just waiting equals becoming and embrace the wait. And I can tell you that many times what we're waiting on to happen 
who God wants us to be is more important than what we want to take place over here. I'm, I'm, if we could get that without having to wait, it'd be huge supernatural wisdom. If we say, God, I just want more of you. I'm just going to lean into you. Regardless of what this circumstances is out here, I'm not going to let this circumstance becoming reality or not dictate my feelings, dictate who I am, dictate my trust in you. So I'm going to trust you. I'm going to surrender to you. And I'm going to grow in this season of waiting whether you answer this that way that I thought you should or not. Look at this. All throughout the word, Abraham was promised children. That your star, he says, come out of here, Abraham. And God says, you see all those stars? I'm going to give you descendants. I'm going to make you a great nation. All these descendants. I, I assume that Abraham went back into the tent and said, Sarah. But tw <laughs> 24 years later, I'm not going to chase it. I'm not going to chase the rabbit. A Abraham's given Isaac, but it takes 24 years. Years. There's even a time in there he tries to take the whole thing into his own hands and it creates disaster. In fact, there's still trouble in the Middle East because of the break between Ishmael and Isaac. Because he just wasn't willing to wait. Look at this. Nehemiah has a vision to repair the city walls of Jerusalem. And it's not 24 years, it's only four months. That's pretty good. And Nehemiah repairs the city walls with God's help against huge opposition. But he repairs it, but it didn't happen overnight. God doesn't like make the walls. It takes some hard work in four months. Look, Joseph sold into prison, sold into slavery by his brothers into the palace. He does go through Potiphar and Potiphar's wife. We call her Hotifer around here. And, and, and he does go through all that situation. He gets imprisoned. But it's 13 years before he finally, the vision God had given him as a child to say, hey, you guys, like, People are going to bow to me, and that's weird. And it's 13 years from the time he has the vision to where God unfolds that as the right-hand man to Pharaoh. Jesus himself, that we celebrate the birth of Christ in this season, from the manger to ministry is 30 years. 90% of his life is under the current, is, uh, is, is not written in the book, his fleshly life on earth. And, and it's 30 years. I mean, Jesus knew who he was at, at age 12, that he had to be about his father's business. I wonder when he's 17 or 22 or 25 or 27, and he walks by someplace, and there's someone who's blind. He says, will you help me? Help me. He says, God, is it time? And Jesus himself waited for the appropriate time. He waited 30 years. So, so here's what's great. We can see through there, there's like a biblical formula for waiting. And I've got good news for you today, that when we see the span of what, of what God is doing, you and I can, can rest assured that when we wait, we're only going to have to wait between four months and 40 years. Let's pray. Jesus, no. Like, I know it's not easy. I know it's tough. But like, waiting equals becoming so embrace the wait. Number three on the bad assumptions that you and I make. And when I say you and I, I really mean you and I. I really mean me too. <laughs> you know, if I don't see God working, maybe God's ways don't work. And I see this active in people that they're just tired of waiting. They just want to take it into their own hands. And so what, what, what should have been... Uh, God's sovereign way according to his word, they want to bend it 
to make sense to them. So they're single. And they've been taught that, uh, according to the word of God, sexuality and sex is designed and, and um, uh, uh, molded by God himself. And it's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's not a yucky thing. It's a beautiful thing within the boundaries of God's word. And he designed it for one man and one woman inside the context of a marriage. But, but when we get tired of waiting, we want to take things into our own hands. And we want to bend the scripture just to make sense for us. Right, you know what? I'm, I'm going to lose my chance if I, if, I don't, if I don't cave to this or if I don't, you know, and I just feel a certain way. I'm old enough. I'm an adult. I'm responsible enough. Hey, listen, this church isn't about hitting people over the head with a hammer. But let me talk to you where you are. Um, I know a lot of you. Uh, you're not married, but you're living together. Hey, this is a church anyone can come to, and I want you here. And, and, and because I know that some of you, I know you, you're living together, but you're not married, I want you to know, hey, I, I just want to say to you, why wait? Like, like make it right. Like, like um, in, in, invite yourself into a new place of trusting Jesus well, it just makes more financial sense for us to kind of do this before we get married. Look, it never makes better sense for you to do things your way and avoid doing things God's way. Let me back up. It never makes better sense to do things your way and avoid doing it God's way. Now, like I said, um, every person is invited to this table. But I, I want to say we've done this before. If you're waiting on money because you want a, a nice cake and you want, you want, you know, a nice, look, we will help you. We'll help you. We'll provide some stuff. You, you, you want to have a little wedding? You can't pay the pastor to, to do the wedding? We got pastors. We'll take care of it. Don't worry about it. You need a venue to do it in? We'll take care of it. It's all right. I know a church real close right here. But I just say don't, don't wait and put things in your own hands because here, here's, here's the way things should look like. To get to here to there, it's got to be God's will, God's way, and God's time. It's got to be, everybody. It's got to be. That's the way God's designed it. In fact, this is not easy. It takes guts. It's hard to do it God's will, God's way, and God's time because we love to do it our own. But the Bible says in Psalm, David learns in his waiting, wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Guess what? It's going to take some bravery and courage in the old first night movie with Richard Gere and Sean Connery. Sean Connery says, bravery and courage, Lancelot, are the things that keep Camelot together. <laughs> Brave, don't, don't call it that. That's horrible. That's horrible. <laughs> bravery, bravery and courage. It takes this, it takes stuff like to patiently wait for God. It's not easy, but he'll give you the bravery. He'll give you the courage. Lean into him. But instead, we want to do it this way. I want to do it in my will, my way, in my time, because things that I think do make more sense to me. And it's just not God's way. It's not his compass for your here to there. Waiting is really about who is in control. Now, come on. Anybody ever been that way? You go into a situation, and you're thinking because you're kind of an organizer person, or you're kind of a leader, and you go in, and like you go into a banquet, and they've got it set up for the company, and they got one line, and you're serving. There's like a bunch of people in line, and you're thinking, man, we can make two lines, and there'd be four people like this, and all of a sudden, you're moving tables. No, no we're going to make this better. We're gonna, it's going to be all right. We're going to figure it out. This is, this is chaotic. This is crazy. 
you get up to the front of the Department of Transportation trying to get you. You know, if you guys would actually like do this, 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 and this, it'd be a whole lot quicker. You know, like, like you, you just, we love to be in control. And when we're out of control, waiting gets a whole lot harder because you can't squint your eyes hard enough and get pregnant. And you're waiting. You can't stomp your foot hard enough and your child say, okay, I want to turn from this life of addiction. And you're waiting. And you can't control it. And you can't twist it. And you can't scream hard enough. And you can't pound your fist. And you can't, you can't, you can't read enough scriptures. And it's like, you're waiting. It's because you're out of control. And it's in those waiting times where we're out of control that God is not out of control. In fact, this equation is where many of us like to live. Heightened vulnerability. When we wait, we get vulnerable with our emotions, vulnerable with our feelings. And when we have a diminished sense of control, the longer we wait, the less control we feel. This is a formula for fear. So as I'm vulnerable and I'm not in charge, you know, it's like just letting my daughter drive our Sequoia around the back parking lot of the church. And I'm in the passenger seat. And she's just too big to be on my lap anymore. And me hold the controls and she's over there. And I'm going, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I'm vulnerable. I don't have a lot of control and I'm afraid. For the church property, honestly. Like the Sequoia going through the parsonage. But this is, this is some of you just living in fear. And, and, and this, isn't, this isn't what God has for you. The Bible says clearly, he's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind, or power, love, and self-discipline. And we've got to remember that when we're waiting. So, what should our posture be while we wait? When my wife and I were coming home from her 40th birthday party, we went to Hawaii for a week. It was unbelievable. It was so great. And our flight was canceled. And we just kind of took it in stride. We're like, we're going to stay here another night and they're going to pay for it. That's okay with us. But then you had to get in line there at the counter at the airport and wait for your vouchers and stuff. And there were 50-some people in line. And some people were waiting like this. Other people were, were waiting like this. And other people were like, <laughs> this is ridiculous. I'm going to stay here You know those people. You're like, I've never seen that. You probably are the person. <laughs> you know, the flight pulls up to the to, it taxis and pulls up uh, there to the exit. And the ding and the, the seatbelts go click, 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 click. And there's one guy with his sack, you know, and he's, like, he's trying to push through everybody. I got a flight to catch. Like, you're the only person, bucko, that has a flight to catch. Like, what's your posture going to be? God, where are you? What's going on? I'm waiting on God. Come on. Ah! You can rest assured that God's got this. So what does your posture have to be? I haven't preached in a few weeks. I'm, I'm pumped today, all right? So, so sor sorry, sorry. And I had, I had a monster drink this morning. You know that that is Satan's syrup. Washed in the blood. I put it in the baptismal. <laughs> what am I talking about? What, what should our posture 
be while we, we, I love you. Thank you for, thank you for letting me be an idiot sometimes. I love this church. I love you guys. You love me? All right, good, good, good. I love you too. What should our posture be while we wait? Well, first, don't be afraid. And it's, and it's, it, it's hard to say, but we say it. You know, when our little kids are crying because they had a bad dream, as parents want to say, well, what are you having a bad dream for? It's okay, it's okay. I got you. Don't be afraid. And we got to trust that he's the parent, we're the child. We want to look at ourselves like we're the adult and, and God submits to us. He's the parent, we're his child. And he says, don't be afraid. Trust me, you, you, you know, my daughter's getting older and older. She's 14 years old, it's not very old, but man, it feels like yesterday I was holding her up through the window on June 26, 2003. Just like yesterday. And the older she gets, I still, it's like, you know, I just want to, she fell asleep on the couch last night. And I went behind the couch, and I was going to scoop her up and take her. And I went, oh, my back. <laughs> and she's a skinny mini. She's a, it's not her, it was my back. And I'm like, oh, she's just not this little precious thing I can just pick up like this. Is, it's okay. I still see her that way. <laughs> but she just, God sees you as his child. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Number two, be willing to change your perspective. Your perspective in waiting has been it's an inconvenience. It's a struggle. It's God's way of not coming through. It's a, it's a, it's a loss of activity of God. Change your perspective. You know, my grandma Swadley, who this year will be in heaven for 10 years. This will be her 10-year anniversary of being in heaven. She would take post-it notes and would write a scripture every single day. And she would pray that scripture every, every day that day. And then she would write another post-it and put it somewhere and write it. And my mom was going through her stuff recently. And she found a stack of those post-it notes. And at summer vacation, uh, with our whole family together, she handed some of those notes out. And it was that note that actually inspired me that I wanted to, to preach on, on waiting sometime this year. And this little note... From June 5th, 1989, in my grandma's handwriting, Lamentations 326, it is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. It's good. It's good. And when we, th we think it's bad to wait, it's good. It's always bad to wait when we want it to be faster. But listen, when you get pregnant, you, you don't want that to go fast. You want the timing to be right. You, 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 it's, it, I can't speak from experience other than my wife's two children. I've never been pregnant. I don't plan on it. But that nine months, like, you, you, she's like, when is this baby going to come out, you know? But we don't want the baby to come before it should come. It's good for us to hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. That's our perspective shift can I invite you to change your perspective on what God is doing in your season of waiting. Number three, trust his word. Trust his word. We want to trust in chariots. We want to trust in our timing. We want to trust in our feelings, and our feelings will lie to us every single day. 
trust his word. And you know, I see these things in the Christmas story. If you go to Matthew chapter 1, you find Mary who gets visited by the angel. And he says, Mary, I've got some big news for you. You're going to be pregnant with, by the Holy Spirit with a child who's going to save this world. And she pondered those things in her heart. And think about how long Mary waited and what even that looked like, what she thought it might look like. And here, 30 three plus years later she watches her son die on the cross and this is what she had been waiting for you see it in the Christmas story waiting Joseph gets the news she private messages him on Facebook and says can you come to my parents house I have something to tell unto thee he gets there and He's like, what, have you found the flowers for the, the wedding? He's like, no, here, sit down, have a cup of, have a cup of decaf. <laughs> I'm pregnant by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Who? Who is that? Where's he from? No, 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 that's not, his, that's it's the, the angel told me. What? And Joseph, a God-fearing man, had to deal with the reality of a situation that he had no plan for. And the Bible says it like this. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, he loved God and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, so he loved this was not just an arranged marriage out of convenience. This wasn't just a fiddler on the roof situation. This was, he loved Mary. He didn't want to disgrace her in front of everybody. So he had in his mind, in his timing, in his way, he was going to divorce her quietly. I thought they weren't married. He would divorce her. Well, an engagement was so serious and so contractual that you had to even issue a certificate of divorce if you had already been engaged. It was that, they took it that seriously. That's why we should take those things seriously. Had it in mind to divorce her quietly. He had his own way because he, he wasn't going to wait around for this. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do you see it? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, a change of perspective. This isn't just Mary lying. This isn't Mary teenage pregnancy that, that you didn't see coming, she didn't see coming. This is, this is something that's serious. That, that change your perspective on it, Joseph. She'll give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus because he'll save his people from their sins. His real name would be Jesus, Savior. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said, his word. Trust his word. And he said his word through the prophet, the word of God. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son hundreds of years earlier. This is written. It's a prophecy. And it will give birth and they will call him. See, his name was Jesus. They named him Jesus. But the nickname that he was going to earn. <laughs> some of you earn nicknames you, you don't want to share. But Jesus' nickname was Emmanuel, which means God with us. So that's the fourth piece. Don't just, not, don't be afraid and 
change your perspective and trust his word. But number four, don't wait alone. Not only is God with you in the waiting, find someone who's been waiting too. If you're waiting to get pregnant, find someone who had to wait. Ask them, what advice would you give? Don't just ask anybody. Ask someone who loves Jesus, who trusts Jesus in the waiting. If you're waiting for the job, talk to someone. Hey, you had to wait for a while before this kind of came to pass. What did you do? How did you pray? What were you thinking? But ultimately, go to God. Because God goes to you and he came to us this Christmas season. He is not a God that leans over the wall of heaven with his arms crossed, his foot tapping, upset with you because you've messed stuff up. He is God with us loves you so much he's never going to have you wait alone so what are you waiting for what are you waiting for waiting is becoming so embrace the wait would you close your eyes with me this morning if you're here today and you've been waiting to get things right with God he's been patiently waiting for you Today is the day of salvation. The opportunity for you to make things right with God is not determined by all the things you could go and do and get right and bite your bottom lip and get everything organized. It is simply surrendering this moment to say, God, I want to make you the Lord and Savior of my life. If that's you, and for the first time ever, you say, I need Jesus to be the Savior and the center of my life. I don't know what I've been waiting on. Maybe I thought religion was just for you know, weak people or church was just a hypocrite thing or I could just do it on my own. I don't want to do that anymore. I need Jesus to be the center of my life. Or you're here and you've drifted from him, but you need to realign. What are you waiting for? Let's make things right with God right now. So right where you are, if you need to ask for the first time or the first time in a long time for Jesus to be the center and the Savior of your life, Without hesitation, would you shoot a hand straight up in the air? I need Jesus to be the center of my life. I've drifted for the first time. I want to do all across the room. Hands are raised. You say, I need Jesus today. I don't want to wait any longer. I've been waiting, thinking, thinking my own thing, doing my own thing. You can put your hand down in your own words. If you raised your hand, you just say, Jesus, I make a terrible savior for myself. I make a terrible God for myself. I get off the throne and I put you on the throne of my heart. Save me from my attitudes and my actions that are contrary to your word. Give me a fresh start. God, I've, I, I don't want you to be just savior of my life where you, you give me a gift of heaven, but I want you to be the Lord, and that means you direct my path. So I surrender to your direction today. Thank you for not being mad at me for loving me so much that you would give me this moment on December 3rd, 2017 to make things right with you. With your heads bowed and eyes still closed, if you're here and you find yourself in a season of waiting, maybe you've hesitated, maybe you've gotten it into your own will, your own time, your own ways, or maybe you're just, boy, it's like you're weary because you've been waiting and you're trying to trust God and you just, you're in that season and you'd like, you'd like me to pray with you. You just put a hand up in the air. You're waiting. You're waiting. You're waiting. Yeah, me too. Me too. I'm waiting on some stuff in my life. I'm waiting too. Jesus, in your precious name, I pray over these men and women, young and old, new Christ followers and senior saints that got their hands raised all across this room. May 
we lean into you in the waiting. May we not get weary in well-doing, but be patient because you're working something out as we wait. We thank you, Lord. We declare now that you are the God that shows yourself in the waiting. We will trust you. We will lean on you and not our own understanding. And we know that you'll make that path straight because you're a good God that has good plans and knows exactly what I need when I need it. We ask all these things in Jesus' name and everybody said amen. Come on, put your hands together for those that made a decision today to follow Jesus. How cool is that? Hey, listen, if you made that decision today, before you move, before you get up, you can grab something, put your, you know, get a mint because you're going to say hi to a lot of people, whatever. Just get your purse, get ready. Um, But before you stand, I want to say two things. If you made a commitment to Christ today, like I want Jesus to be the center of my life, on the connect card, there's a little red line. And it says, yes, I've committed to Christ or I'm recommitting my life to Christ. It's right there in the seat back pocket. Maybe you already handed one in because you're a guest. Take, take another one and just, just mark that and put your name. And at every station, every exit, there's a little box you can drop it in or take it to the next steps booth. We want to just connect with you in a non-unintimidating way to pray with you and help you with the next step. We'd invite you to do that. For those of you that are waiting, we're going to be praying for you this week. That God's peace and strength, you know, those that wait upon the Lord, they will renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. They'll soar over the stuff that's been weighing them down. They'll run and not be weary. They'll walk and not faint. That's the kind of blessings in store for those that wait on God. Well, before you leave today, I want to tell you that um, December 10th and December 17th, I'm doing a two-week mini-series before we have our huge, awesome Christmas services. Okay? A two-week mini-series. I think it's going to be a precious series for you to consider bringing your friends to. So um, take one minute and watch this little uh, promo for what we're doing next week. Go ahead, guys. Everybody's got a mole in their family or in their office. And we're going to talk about surviving your crazy family this Christmas. Would you stand with me? May God bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you. May you experience the Prince of Peace this Christmas season. And may you wait upon God and see your strength renewed. And if you receive it, would you say amen? 
God bless you and keep you. We'll see you next Sunday.